This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on the Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there. Welcome to the Hash here on Coindesk TV and the Coindesk Podcast Network. I am Zach Seward in studio with Wendy O, Jen Sinassi, and Will Foxley down the line. First of all, congrats to Will Foxley on a game well played last night and to his world champion, Denver Nuggets. Will, how's it feel? Feels good to be a champ, Zach. Feels good to be a champ. Well done. Well done. All right, enough sports talk. Let's move over to the world of crypto regulation. It's the hot topic these past couple weeks, and we got a fresh development that dropped today. Hotly anticipated was the Hinman emails, a former director of the SEC way back when, who made the proclamation that Ether didn't appear to be a security back in 2018. Those emails and documents related to that speech had been sealed for a number of years. And today, as part of a lawsuit with Ripple Labs, those emails have been released, shedding light on how the SEC discussed this internally at the time in what is a really timely drop of some public documents as the debate around crypto asset securities rages ever more intensely. So this was a big story, hotly anticipated again, and we're going to talk about it. I'm going to throw it straight to Wendy. Did anything from these emails stand out to you? And does it change your opinion of the SEC and how it's dealing with this asset class? Don't ever ask me in my opinion of the SEC live on air, please. Because <laughs> we ask you every day, Wendy. Okay, so I, I, I was live streaming yesterday on my channel and I got this news. My daughter was like, Mom, she had came in and she wanted candy. And I gave her candy to celebrate because Gary Gensler, you're getting fired, man. All right, that's something else. I'm, I'm actually very excited that this is finally released. I was able, I was given the chance to go through these a little bit earlier this morning. I'm going to be dropping a video with my thoughts on it. But basically, I think that this is good for the industry. It just kind of shows, like, I'm not a legal person, so I'll pass this over to Jen in a second. But I just think that this is good to show that the SEC has no idea what they're talking about. The people that we are paying, we're funding their public salary to essentially protect poor people, unaccredited investors from all the dangerous things in crypto, they have no idea on how to actually classify the stuff. So they went ahead and it sounded like they reached out to Vitalik um, to kind of understand what the stuff is, which to me is problematic because again, he's the creator of Ethereum. He's got a lot of money invested in it. And I just think that a lot of the back and forth that we've seen over the, since like 2018, 2019, and 2017 has been absolutely ridiculous. And I think a lot of this could have all been avoided if we introduced Hester Purse's Safety Harbor Act to help these, di- these digital assets become non-securities via decentralization. So I feel like that's going to be a big argument that we're going to see in the future. I know Library is tweeting out a lot about what's going on and what's happening. We have all the crypto Twitter citizen journalists that are going through these documents and just having a field day with it. So hopefully this is good for the future of the industry. Um, But again, I'm not a legal person. So Jen, would you like to comment? I'm also not a legal person. I have to say I'm the hashes legal person, which doesn't hold much weight. And Zach, I must say that the studio energy is just great. You should be in the studio all the time. It just brings that extra zhuzh to the show. Uh, so the documents, we were all expecting these documents to drop. And I think that uh, a lot of people like, could kind of expect what was going to come out in the documents. XRP isn't directly mentioned in them. It will be interesting. Like I'm interested to see just how the discussion plays out in court. Of course, the judge is expected to make a ruling in the case by the end of September. 
And so I'm just curious about how this progressive decentralization discourse is going to take place. I'm curious about how the SEC is going to respond because they really tried to not release these documents. And so I'm just curious to watch and see how this plays out and how the results of these documents being released in this case might inform the Coinbase case. And so I think that this is going to not only have an effect on the SEC versus Ripple, but also the SEC versus Coinbase, maybe Binance, even though that that is that is totally different. There are totally different allegations being made there. So I think that this is just going to be good for pushing the regulatory conversation forward, which is what people thought was going to happen anyways. Will, what do you think? Yeah, there's two thoughts on this. One, do these emails help out the entire ecosystem? And two, does this help out the Ripple Labs case? To the first point, I think it does help out the entire ecosystem because they see that this is more of a partisan issue or bipartisan issue here where we have like an old administration, old SEC under Donald Trump having one purview on this entire topic. And then we have a different administration come in and they change the tune. In the meantime, there's all these founders and developers building all these projects and they they were acting on this old information. All of a sudden, the administration changes and you also have to change your entire business model. I think that kind of points to like the Binance US case and also the Coinbase case right now where they were acting under the information that they were given. They're building under the information for years. They thought these things were okay to build on top of or to use or to solicit and sell. And then new administration comes in and all of a sudden the rules of the road change. Imagine driving down the highway and then all of a sudden they just flip it on you and say, you need to go the other way right now. And if you don't, you're going to cause a huge pile up and there's going to be a lot of problems. Well, it's kind of what the SEC did to a lot of cases. Now to the, the ripple part of this, I'm not sure it helps out Ripple Labs as much as they might think. Why? Well, because the XRP token itself doesn't really seem to be showing this gradual move towards decentralization. They might claim that, but there isn't like a lot of documentation showing that. Ethereum, on the other case, does, right? So they did do initial coin offering back in 2015 and 2016. And over time, there's been a huge dilution of ETH. There's been a lot of applications built on top of Ethereum that do use ETH as gas, as a commodity. XRP, we haven't quite seen that, mostly because we haven't seen a lot of adoption besides bag holding and buying of it. There's also this huge question of Ripple Labs holding a bunch of XRP. They still do this escrow schedule where every few months they release a bunch of XRP into the wild. This XRP was first set aside for Ripple Labs when Ripple started up. So you might say there's some similarities between the Ethereum Foundation and, and the Ripple Labs getting their token allocations. But I think over time, you can see like it's a little bit different. So I'm unsure how this helps out Ripple Labs and the XRP army. Zach? Yeah, as you saw, XRP pumped on the news and then sold off rather sharply as crypto tokens do. Interesting to see. To me, quickly, the thing that stands out is that this wasn't a fringe opinion of the agency at the time, right? This was discussed among various higher ups at the SEC before Hinman made these public remarks. I think the SEC more recently has tried to distance itself from some of those remarks and cast it as though it was sort of one man's opinion. But clearly, I think the documents that are released today show that this was discussed among various people at the agency itself who gave sort of tacit sign off to what Hinman ultimately said. So I think from a narrative perspective, that is worth noting because uh, previously it had been sort of shunted aside as though Hinman was speaking sort of out of turn. So to see these back and forth and to see the edits and conversations in the email record is really fascinating to watch. And this whole Ripple case has just aged fantastically into this whole uh, conversation around more than just XRP and around a whole bevy of assets. So it is fascinating to watch this drop here and now. All right, that's it for this one. Let's toss it to Wendy. What do you got? 
investing platform eToro to delist four crypto assets. I'm going to change that to crypto assets for U.S. users next month. And the reason why they're doing this is because of what's going on with the SEC. Basically, customers will no longer be able to open new positions in Algo, which was, you know, Gary Gensler. All He loved that token. It was one of his favorites. We saw, saw him talking about it. Mana, Dash, and Matic. Dash, I understand because it's, I feel like it's kind of a privacy coin, but not, but is, but is. But the other ones, I feel like they're just kind of following suit and doing whatever Robinhood is doing and the other big companies are doing because they don't want to get caught in the legal battle. I do know that eToro does definitely run on the up and up. So it makes sense that they would be delisting these assets to kind of protect themselves because we don't know what the SEC is going to do next. Zach, you're nodding, so I'll toss this to you. Take it. I will take it. I will run with it. Yeah, you got to play safe. These companies, they don't want to run afoul of the law. They don't want to be the next one who are like in the sights of Gary Gensler's SEC. So if they're out there, if the SEC is out there saying, hey, these assets look like securities to us. We saw this with Robinhood and now we're seeing it with eToro. They're going to follow suit and pull those from their platforms. And I think, you know, to sort of the 3D chess and the speculation around what the SEC's endgame is, this could be part of it, right? You make these allegations in suits, uh, in complaints against exchanges, not against these token issuers or these foundations that are producing these, that, are, that initially issued these tokens. Uh, you're making these claims against exchanges, right? And then other exchanges, other trading platforms follow suit. They don't want to get in trouble. Suddenly, the liquidity for some of these tokens dries up pretty significantly. And those projects themselves start feeling the pinch as opposed to just the exchanges that are named in these SEC complaints. So I think that sort of does uh, comport with what people are speculating as to how the SEC is approaching this. They're saying, okay, well, they're not well-resourced enough to go after these issuers. If we go after some prominent exchanges, others will follow suit and it will achieve the SEC's assumed intent of limiting access to these assets on the behalf of the American investing public. So it is fascinating to watch. I think all these companies uh, sort of turn tail and say, hey, we don't want this fight. Uh, Coinbase, you can fight that fight. Binance, you can fight that fight. We're not, we're out. Like, we're just going to stay safe and we're going to, we're going to delist these until, you know, and, and, like we're going to take an abundance of caution, right? So watching this play out, I mean, it's, there's going to be more platforms that do this. I think initially there was like enforcement fatigue and I didn't expect people to necessarily follow suit as quickly, but obviously we're seeing that the Coinbase suit specifically, people are taking that seriously and saying, hey, if we're offering these on our platform, we better think twice. And you have eToro and Robinhood doing that potentially more. I don't know. Matasa to Jen. Yeah, I think I completely agree with you, Zach. The risk isn't worth the reward. So it wouldn't make good business sense to see what's happening with regulation and then to just say, you know, we're going to continue offering these tokens. And if the SEC comes for us, then, you know, we'll just deal with it. I think this makes complete sense when you think about the conversations that platforms like Robinhood and eToro are having behind closed doors. You know, they are still offering some tokens. They're not delisting everything, but these ones that are being mentioned in the lawsuits are going. I, I wanted to note that some of the foundations have come out and responded to these SEC allegations, while some have remained quiet. I think the other day I, I said on the show that IOG, the Cardano developer, has said they completely do not agree with the SEC, that ADA is not a security. And Solana Foundation recently said on Twitter that the Solana Foundation disagrees with the characterization of Sol as a security, but I don't think that that's going to be enough for these platforms to keep the tokens on board. Before I toss it off to you, Will, I wanted to also mention that many of these tokens, I believe it was Solana, Cardano, and Polygon, took a big hit over the weekend, I think sliding as much as 30% in some data that Coindesk reported on, said that big market makers like Jump Trading and Cumberland could have been behind that. So it's not just 
the platforms, it's the market makers too, that are saying, we don't really want to deal with this right now. We're going to wait until we get some more clarity. Well, yeah, there's a lot of things going on here because these markets are just so complex. The one thing I want to bring up goes back to what Zach was saying. And it's just like these companies are going to start delisting these products, the liquidity will dry up, and then the price of these tokens will drop off. And then over time, maybe these teams will fail because their token has failed because there's no price action, or there's just no interest. And so the community dies off and therefore the token also sort of dies off. But that might not be the case for some of these teams that were decentralized from the start. And I think that, again, could be an interesting play over the next two, three years. We'll see who survives this round of the SEC bloodbath because they were built from it from the start. So take Polygon Matic, for example. Polygon is sort of like the overarching team. Matic was the first name for the token. It's changed a few times, but more or less, that's their product, right? And they have a lot of different things that they're building. Mostly their team has been built out of India and they continue to build over there. That might help them out in this case, right? Where the SEC might have jurisdiction within the US and might be going after these US-based exchanges, don't want Polygonmatic in the hands of US, uh, US-based consumers. But you know, if your team is not really based in the US and you're in a more friendly jurisdiction, you might be okay. Not saying that India is necessarily a friendly crypto jurisdiction. We've talked about that a lot in the show. But there are rules there. There are rules to how to build there. And the team has been building there for a while. So they might be able to figure it out. And that's just one token example. I'm sure that a lot of these other tokens are going to be able to figure out how to survive in a world outside the US. And maybe over time, if we continue to see like the waffling from the SEC administrations as a new president comes into power, we might see the doors open up and then these teams can come back to the US. Zach? Yeah, if this is the ultimate test of decentralization, that would be quite ironic, right? You see some comments from the Bitcoin community saying Bitcoin is anti-fragile to state attacks, right? Can some of these newer layer ones also say the same thing? over these next 12 to 18 months. That could be really interesting to watch. All right, Will, toss it back to you. You got the next one. Okay, guys, let's go on to Shiba Inu and talk about more tokens, okay? We got a testnet for Shiba Inu, causing possibly the price of Shiba to go up. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but we are seeing more interest within meme coins at the moment with a new puppy testnet going live, uh, and it's been trading quite a bit. Uh, According to the piece on coindesk.com, the value of SHIB and Bone, which is another dog token, apparently. I guess we have another one. That's not a huge shocker. Uh, has been going up because there's been more test transactions. Now, a testnet, for those who are not in the know, is essentially a copy and paste of your actual network, but the value of the token doesn't really have any like monetary price, uh, but it's there just for devs to work on. If there's a bug, something like that, you can work on it. Sometimes people see a testnet as a reason for the actual mainnet to accrue value. I don't necessarily agree with that. But in this case, there is a point towards it where the price of Shiba Inu has been going up and there's been more testnet transactions. Zach, I saw your hand. I'll throw it to you. I mean, I'm just kind of chuckling because like crypto winter is so bad that even the meme coins are in it for the tech now. This is like a tech story (laughs) about meme coins. We have PuppyNet in here. This is this is amazing. This is immaculate. This really speaks to the moment when even the meme coins are all about that dev work. To their credit, I think they need to sort of reclaim the meme glory from the frog people. Remember Pepe was the hot thing? <laughs> now, the, now the pups are back. Now the dogs are back, and I'm all for it. So that they're building and trying to keep this thing going uh, is a credit to the interest in this community and a credit to them seeking to establish themselves for the long run. Uh, it is fascinating that we were talking about meme coin technology and Will had to do that intro with a straight face for the most part. So 
hats off to you, Will. I got to give it to you on that one. But uh, thank you. I don't know. Wendy, what do you think? What do you make of this one? Test your test if you want to test. I don't know. I, Shiba Inu has a massive community. I know the Tiki Takis, they love that one. If they're building, that's good. That means that they are, you know, merging towards like this fun utility meme token. Again, not financial advice. And I also have no idea if I have any Shiba Inu. But I think it's a good thing. It's nice that they're still building and doing stuff and doing the whole test net thing. And I just don't know if I would have launched that in a bear market, depending on the roadmap. I haven't checked, but congratulations. Keep always building. be building. Always, always be, building. be. How do you say? How do you say? Like CZ balding, building, biddle. Building. It's biddle season, folks. It's biddle, biddle season. Biddle. Jen, take us. Take us away from this. <laughs> no, I want to say I love that it's called Puppy Net. I'm sorry. Anything to do with puppies just makes me smile, and it's just the cute, the photo in the story, the whole thing was just heartwarming for me to see. I think we need a graphic that's like frog people versus dog people that can carry us into the new uh, bull cycle. But I do want to mention, Will, this is the second story in a row that you've covered on that has like a metaverse angle, which I think is very odd for you. But like, thank you for carrying the torch as I take the metaverse break. Thank you for keeping the fire burning. And on that note, I want to I want to mention that along with this test net, they the Shibu people have a uh, metaverse launch near the end of the year where they're going to be doing this partial release and people can go in there and create like little dog characters and build out games and environments. And I think that that is very cool. And what a wonderful story. Snoop Dogg and Transient Labs launched the Snoop Dogg Passport series today. The series will enable concert goers to receive an exclusive look at behind the scenes tour footage and get access to merch for boards and the rapper himself. Joining us now to chat is COO of Transient Labs, Chris Ostoich. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. All right, why don't you start off by telling us about the project? Happy to do it. Um, and to point of clarity, I'm not Snoop Dogg's son. I know that's why it came up before the before the break. Um, yeah, my so, bad. Well, no, I, sorry, no. to, I, sorry to rug you and the viewers. I clearly didn't get the Just memo kidding. that uh, the tech issues had out. flared up. So my bad, my bad on that one. Sorry, Chris. I you're, wanted you're to see cool one too. of my cast members from Killer Whales. Come on, Zach. Come on. I, I, I'll leave. I'll show myself Zach, out. Rug the small. Yeah, so sorry to rug the audience. Um, I'll see if I can hold up my end of the bargain, though. But th- thanks again for having me. Yeah, super fun project, actually. We started this conversation you know, a few months ago uh, as Snoop was going on a Europe tour. We did some testing out of the gate, but the idea that we had this you know, interesting and novel uh, innovation uh, called dynamic refresh. So we figured out a way to update the metadata of a token without a metadata refresh. And so we thought that had really interesting implications for any content creator that is capturing things regularly or, or producing content on a regular basis. And then when you think about entertainment and somebody being on tour, the idea initially was to give fans a peek behind, you know, behind the scenes. And so um, the team from Snoop Dogg's side is capturing content on every show, behind the scenes, uh, you know, backstage, on the bus, and then dynamically updating uh, the, the, the token itself so that you can get a, a picture of what's happening in, in the world of Snoop Dogg. Chris, I want to talk about, uh, you know, the technical underpinnings of this. This appears to be on Arbitrum. Is that right? This is on Arbitrum. Is that your first time working with Arbitrum? And talk to me about like the case for building this on an Ethereum layer two. I've, I've heard some chatter that like the, L, the L2 NFT scene is about to pop off. Tell me about why you chose Arbitrum in this particular instance. 
Uh, yeah, Arbitrum was a, well, one, they're a great partner for us. Uh, we actually worked with them to integrate. Our product is coming to market next week and Arb is in the, in the stack out of the gate. So, you know, for us, we just, we wanted to think about a scaling solution that made it really efficient for consumers who either are or are not Web3 participants. Uh, that This made this fast and cost-effective, honestly. And those two things were easily accomplished on Arbitrum. So um, additionally, for those who aren't on uh, the traditional Web3 side of the world, um, we use CrossMint. So you can, whether you're crypto native or not, like there's a there's an easy path for you to be able to collect a passport. The project targets artists, right? Artists like Snoop Dogg. We're in a bear market. You heard us talking about it all before the break. NFTs are down. Prices are down. There's a whole bunch of regulatory um, questions in the air. How are artists responding to projects like these? Talk to us a little bit about how you how your um, conversations with artists are going. Um yeah, this was a for us. This was an incredible opportunity, given um, this is really tied to Snoop's tour this summer with Wiz Khalifa, and so as Snoop is gathering content and then pushing that into the token itself, um, re- really what the passport is is three things. It's a sort of look behind the scenes, so it's dynamic content uh, for fans. It's access, so there's a soon-to-be token-gated website with merch and music and all this cool stuff. And then third, there's airdrops from some of the you know digital ecosystem's greatest creators like Coldy and Alien Queen and Terrell and um, and so when we took this opportunity out uh, to these artists, it was put it this way: there was not much negotiating. It was like, yes, we're going to see millions of people on this tour, and so um, easy solution to be able to sort of bring a, a what kind of looks like the first like interactive and evolving tour poster. It's kind of the, the way we talk about it internally. Um, so for people who hold this thing, uh, being able to have access to airdrops from Coldy and Alien Queen and Terrell and others um, is pretty exciting. So the artists were super bullish, um, given that there's no um, shortage of people going to Snoop Dogg shows right now. I think that this is a fantastic idea. Back in my day, if you liked a band, what you had to do is you had to go and you had to send a, like a $25 check to their fan club to become a member. They would send you pins. I'm talking about the Misfits totally. Fiend Club. I remember all of that stuff. So this is, to me, this is a perfect use, perfect and valid use case for NFTs. Like you purchase this NFT, you become a part of the, um, the community, you get to get like behind the scenes, you know, footage, um, interaction with your favorite artists. And I think it's fantastic. I think it is a valid use case. One question I have, will you, will, um, will the project be incorporating other artists in the future or is this just exclusive to Snoop Dogg? Um, so Snoop has a, an ecosystem of artists and creators that he wants to take this out to. Um, but WME was pretty instrumental in bringing this to life, uh, representing us and Snoop Dogg. Um, and so we, uh, we're actually rolling out this uh, Passport product as, as almost a solution that other artists can tap into as a platform. So that's coming in the product suite uh, that we're launching next week. And so we hope that anyone who's, like I said in, in the beginning, like anybody who's regularly creating content that uh, has an audience that they want to give sort of special privileges to, this is a really, this is a really compelling piece of tech. All right, we'll leave it there. Chris from Transient Labs, not Snoop Dogg's son. Good, we got that correction in there. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate you. Thanks for being here, and thanks for fielding our questions. Good luck with the launch, and I hope we talk soon. All right, that's it for the hash today. Thanks for being here, everybody. I'm Zach Seward. I'm in the studio. Studio vibes do feel... It's a a vibe. It's a vibe, Jen. It's a vibe, I feel Yeah, I know. I can see it. It's like extra professional and fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
All right, that's it. I got to hit the out. So I'm Zach, Jen, Will, Wendy. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 